1: This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Fancy Bear has some new dance steps. Ocean Lotus and Sobug snoop on ASEAN and Latin America, respectively. Notes on international law and the future of cyberwar from Cycon, And Appleby insists the Paradise Papers were not an inside job. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, November 8, 2017. Some industry news today, briefly, before we get to the cloak and keyboard stuff. Fallout from NotPetya continues to descend on earnings. The latest victim to report that the June pseudo-ransomware campaign continues to inflict financial pain is the shipping giant Maersk, which is estimating NotPetya losses at somewhere north of $300 million. We're likely to hear more such reports from other companies as they continue their return to normal operations. There's less unpleasant industry news as well. The New York Times reported in an exclusive that Prague-based antivirus firm Avast is preparing for an IPO that could be priced in the billions. In other business news, security firm Proofpoint is a buyer. It's announced its purchase of Cloudmark for a reported $110 million. Cloudmark isn't the only acquisition target. U.S. private equity firm Warburg Pincus is said to have increased its 21% stake in Israeli cybersecurity shop Siren to a controlling 75%. Warburg Pincus invested $19.6 million in Siren to acquire its current fraction of ownership. And container security company New Vector announces that it's raised $7 million, which it intends to use to build up engineering and sales operations. Misconfigured AWS S3 buckets continue to make trouble. Accenture recently narrowly escaped what observers believe might have been a significant breach. Amazon is trying to give its AWS customers easier ways of avoiding missteps in the cloud. The cloud provider has moved to add encryption by default to customers' S3 buckets. The Scinet Showcase event is taking place in Washington, D.C. today and tomorrow, highlighting the Scinet 16 Innovation Awards presented to the company's Cynet's panel of judges, deems the most innovative and compelling. Robert Rodriguez is the chairman and founder of Cynet, and I asked him to describe some of the trends he's seeing in cybersecurity.
0: We've moved from a prevention and detection environment. I mean, we still do that, of course, but we're more into response, incident response. But the big word today, resilience. That's what board of directors and CEOs wanna know. Okay, they're in, when we get hit, what does that mean to our resiliency? When can we be back up? How do we minimize shareholder value loss? Brand reputation, tangible and untangible. The other area that I think is interesting is the orchestration and automation. That, that's an area that we need to go to, and, and more companies are, are in that space. There's also um, an increase of companies in the deception space that is trending. However, when I talk to CISOs, I ask, is it nice to have or need to have? And, and what I get from them is it's, it's it's important, but it's a nice to have. And that doesn't mean that that's correct and accurate, but that's the feedback I've received from, from some of the CISOs that I know. I think also in terms of, of trends, let's talk about cultural trends, right, in the, in the marketplace. And I think this is really important because, you know, because we're in cybersecurity and there's a lot of risk out there and there's been a lot of attacks and, and you know, Equifax and Target and Home Depot and OPM over the years, um, the problem doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. I would say that the buyers, the CISOs, have been, harder to get to by the companies and I'm I'm getting feedback from the companies that they want to start building more purpose-driven type of events that they focus on building really trust-based relationships with the CISOs and they do an off-site that is focused on a thought leadership discussion, not a pitch of the technology or solution that the company has, whether it's in orchestration or whether it's incident response, they want to start doing these kind of things. And, and maybe some private off-site with networking and dinners. Because it's really about the relationships. And it's building not just relationships, but trust-based relationships. That's one of the things I'm hearing from the companies. And part of the challenges is the CISO, whether they're industry or government, are in high demand. And when anything's in high demand, sometimes you can be reclusive because the noise is so great. What's out there that really makes sense? And also, every, you know, everybody wants them. I mean, the vendors want them. The venture capitalists want them to introduce the portfolio companies. The event people want them to speak. When they go to Gardner or RSA, uh, a lot of people want them to go to their dinners. And so they get pulled in different directions. and It, it just makes it harder to get to them. I think the word that corporate uses today, building uh, purpose-driven companies, that needs to go down to the entrepreneur and, and, and defining a very strong mission, a strong sense of purpose, a strong sense of culture that is, um, we're all in here ear together. We're here to help the CISOs that are protecting the brand and reputation and critical infrastructure of their respective entities, and really listen to what their challenges are, and what their problems are, and go into it as a, as a team. Of course, I want them to succeed with the sales, but I think sales need to come second behind the relationship, and if they do that, I think they'll have greater success.
1: That's Robert Rodriguez from Cynet. The Cynet Showcase event is in Washington, D.C. today and tomorrow at the National Press Club. We'll have more coverage of the event tomorrow. There's more news today about cyber espionage, and we turn to three spy stories. There wasn't much barking heard from Moscow dogs in yesterday's U.S. off-year elections, at least not so far. But the Russian organs haven't been idle either. McAfee notes that Fancy Bear, and if you're keeping score at home unofficially, that's Russia's GRU, the military intelligence agency, after having fished SICON with little evident success, continues to tune its activities. It's seeking to take advantage of a recently demonstrated Microsoft Office vulnerability. The dynamic data exchange can be exploited to install malware. And it's baiting its fishhooks with fears surrounding the recent terror attack in New York City. At least two other active espionage campaigns are in progress. Veloxity is tracking a Vietnamese threat group the company says is running an ongoing cyber-espionage campaign against ASEAN neighbors. The researchers are coy about attributing their activity to any nation-state, but its interests appear to coincide with those of Vietnam's government. The threat actors are being identified with APT-32, also known as Ocean Lotus, which FireEye described in May. APT32 is currently engaged in surveillance of ASEAN meetings convened in Manila. Symantec researchers find that espionage group SOBUG, known since 2015, are still quietly active with its Felismas malware. SOBUG's targets have principally been in Latin America, but it's recently expanded its interests to include Asia. It looks like nation-state-sponsored activity with an interest in diplomatic intelligence, but which nation might be running so bug is unknown. The targets are unusual in that Latin America is heavily overrepresented. Most such campaigns have shown more interest in Western European and North American targets. And while we're thinking of espionage and nation state conflict, it's worth turning to the SICON conference that's meeting in Washington, D.C. Yesterday's sessions included an interesting panel on the Talon Manual and international law as it affects cyber operations. The panelists, many of whom had been involved in preparing Talon 2.0, stressed a commonly overlooked fact about this NATO publication on cyber conflict. It was developed to expound Lex lata, the law as it stands, and not Lex Ferenda, the law as it ought to be. They saw this as essential to the manual's credibility— there was one significant area of dispute, and that was over sovereignty, how it's to be interpreted, how it informs permissible activity under international law, and how it interacts with a requirement for due diligence. This morning, an international law expert, Denton's Peter Stockberger, picked up some of the themes addressed by the Talon panel. In particular, he was interested in the ways in which international law surrounding attribution of cyber attacks has been evolving. Since customary practice is one of the sources of international law, Stockberger said it was worth keeping an eye on how formal attribution of attacks has developed over the last few years. The test for attribution has been, since the 1990s at least, the effective control test. That is, you could attribute a third-party attack to a nation-state only if that state could be shown to be in effective control of the third party. Support, even funding, would be insufficient. But now, especially since the U.S. attributed the 2014 Sony hack to North Korea, there's been a movement, in practice, away from effective control to a new, less stringent test, control and capabilities. Thus, we now cite similar malware, IP addresses, common tactics, and other more circumstantial matters when we attribute a cyberattack to a state. This is a relatively new and not fully appreciated development, Stockbridge argued. New America's Peter Singer, who delivered the morning keynote, was in fine full futurist fig, giving the symposiasts much to think about concerning the ways in which emerging technologies like robotics, artificial intelligence, big data, and even human enhancement are going to change the way militaries organize, recruit, train, and fight. They're going to be bigger than the steam engine, bigger than the airplane, bigger than the computer itself. We'll have more on his talk and other presentations at SciCon later this week. And leaving Sicon to return to the world of crime, in case you were wondering, Appleby, the Bermuda offshore specialist law firm, says it was hacked and that it wasn't an inside job. Some outsider got in to steal and leak the Paradise Papers. There's still no word on who the hackers were or how they got in. It's also unclear that the leaks reveal any illegal activity, but consensus remains that the optics are bad for those mentioned in dispatches. It's striking to see the way Appleby continues to insist that the leaks are the fruit of criminal hacking and that the law firm is the victim here. And legally, it's hard to disagree with them. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Joe, welcome back. Uh, you wanted to take us through a story today about um, being able to report vulnerabilities when you find them. Right. So one of my roles at uh, at
2: the Information Security Institute at Johns Hopkins University is I am the coordinator for all of our vulnerability disclosures. Hmm. So what that means is when we find a vulnerability, we have a policy that says, The first thing we're going to do is notify the person who is responsible for maintaining this product, library, thing, whatever it is, uh, that we found this vulnerability and provide them with an opportunity to fix it. Okay. Before we release it to the general public. All right. And I've had to report a number of vulnerabilities over the past couple of years that we found. And one of the things I found was that it's very difficult. To tell a company that you found a vulnerability in their product
1: why do you go on what, what, what do you i mean do they not have an email address or are they just not set up to do it what? I'll,
2: I'll talk about a specific company which shall remain nameless okay. now there, there are companies out there that that have stepped up and they're starting to do this particularly big software manufacturers like microsoft and google
1: sure we hear about bug Apple. bounties and they things all like that exactly
2: yeah. and every company should have this but right. uh there was there was one company where i would get in touch with them i i called all over to their offices and they were like their engineering department was I don't know who you'd send that to and I sent it I eventually wound up using the support portal and said can I give this to you Uh, we consider this this vulnerability disclosed and at one point in time from one company I got back a letter that said or an email that said we have received your your vulnerability disclosure and we've notified our legal team (laughs)
1: <laughs> of course they
2: have. And
1: I wrote so, them back. So you're waiting for your summons, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> and somehow you've I, you've uh, you've violated the Digital Millennium Copyright Act yes, or something, yeah, right?
2: By finding a vulnerability like a <laughs> right. like a, like a good academic right, research exactly, organization. Yes. So I wrote them back and I said I would recommend that you also send this to your engineering team. Uh, you're free to send it to whomever you please, right? But. Uh, The legal people are not going to fix this problem for you, and we consider it disclosed, and we're going to disclose it to the public after our non-disclosure period. I see. Um, So there was this company that we had been working, I made a number of disclosures to, and uh, a news organization contacted the professor who was the advisor to the students who found these vulnerabilities and said, uh, what do you do when you find these vulnerabilities? And he says, well, you know, we, we try to tell the companies, but we generally have a hard time doing that. So then the news organization contacted the company and asked the vice president of communications at that company, why can't Hopkins disclose these vulnerabilities to you? And, mm. and, and that got some attention,
1: right? <laughs> of course it did. Uh, when a
2: large news organization contacts <laughs> you and you says... You just got to get
1: to the right person, you got right?
2: You got products that, that have security vulnerabilities in them, and the, <laughs> and the people that find them can't report them to you. And we got some immediate attention. And uh, this, this company, I, I don't want to uh, say anything about the company. The company actually, sure. uh, they took care of the problem. They solved it. And they're mm-hmm. actually looking at starting a bug bounty now, which is great. It's unfortunate that it takes that kind of pressure to do that. Companies, every single company that manufactures a product that can have a security vulnerability. So anything that is a computer, or when I say is a computer, there's so much stuff that's actually yeah, well, a computer. What yeah, well, isn't a computer? Think these of days. being a right. computer. Um, a, a router, right? Your router at your house that you have. That's probably a Linux computer right inside your no, thermostat your your
1: camera your refrigerator your oven your washing machine they all have computers now and they're this, connected to the internet this
2: all goes back <laughs> to to the surface area problem right, the attack
1: right. surface problem right. but
2: these these manufacturers all need to have a public way for people to put data into their realm of knowledge that somebody has found a vulnerability
1: so it needs to be beyond the general contact us form on the website exactly. so that it properly gets routed exactly uh, and gets the proper attention that it deserves
2: it does and you you need to have um you know you need to have a way for security re- researchers to reach out and
1: get in touch with you okay joe kerrigan thanks for joining us it's my pleasure And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.
2: Hey, all, Rick here. At N2K Cyberwire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network.